of streets paved with gold Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face, -face. and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. We are and have been so blessed to be part of this ministry. We praise God for all the good times, the bad and the difficult, in times of plenty and in times of want, and uh, we thank Him for the fruit we have been able to see, that is, people coming uh, to the truth of who Jesus is and what that means. So thanks for tuning in tonight. All of Heart of the Matter programs can be seen at www.hotm.tv. You can go there and watch the show live uh, from anywhere in the world as well through streaming video. We have eight things for you to consider tonight and we're gonna do them just boom, 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 ready. Number one, Every Sunday we gather as a church at 10 a.m. We call that the milk gathering. And then at 2.30 we call that the meat. We do church very differently in a way we believe is effective and aimed at helping people uh, become better Christians and to uh, understand the word. Go to www.campus.com with hyphens in between those letters uh, to find out, you know, it's up at the U of U, how to get there, etc. Two, on December 5th, a Monday night at 7 p.m., we're premiering Boy, the follow-up to the short film we uh, premiered last year called Girl. It's about sex between teenagers. Uh, here's a little preview. That's Monday night, December 5th, 7 p.m., Gateway Movie Theaters. All are welcome. It's free. Three, Aletheia Ministries' annual winter coat and sock drive is underway. Uh, winter coats uh, bring new and any new socks and any like new coats to the lobby of KTMW TV 20, located at 314 South Redwood Road, between the hours of 9 a.m. and 3 p.m., these items will be donated to the Rescue Mission of Salt Lake City and the Women's uh, Mission at the Rescue Haven. 
So if you have questions about that, uh, tune in next week and we'll remind you. Uh, also, four Heart of the Matter rebroadcasts can be heard every Sunday from 1 to 2 p.m. on AM820 The Truth. AM820 The Truth is a great uh, Christian radio station here in Utah. Five, speaking of Utah greatness, if you are looking for an excellent Christian auto mechanic, go to Affordable Automotive. The address is on the screen. Why? They're honest, they're fair, and they love the Lord. Six, is your church transitions trained? The following are, and we wholly endorse LDS people coming out of Mormonism and to check these churches out. Let me show you what, they, who, what those churches are. Alpine Church and all those places, Bridging Jordan and Murray, Cache Valley Bible Church in Logan, Calvary Chapel Wasatch Front in Clearfield, Calvary Chapel Salt Lake City, First Presbyterian Church, Salt Lake City, Good Shepherd uh, Lutheran Church in Sandy, K2 The Church, Salt Lake City, Main Street Church, Brigham City, New Pilgrim Baptist in Kearns, Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Brigham City, Calvary Chapel, Clearfield. Mount Olympus Presbyterian Church, Salt Lake City, Adventure Church, American Fork. So uh, check that out. If your church is not on there, you might ask your pastor, how come? And then maybe they can get uh, transitions trained. And what that means is they go through the training. They incorporate the program of helping Latter-day Saints assimilate into the body of Christ. Seven, there is an excellent video out everyone needs to see about Mormonism and politics. A long uh, journey and attempt for them to take the White House. Uh, take a preview look at this. Is America ready for a Mormon president? I would love to see Mitt Romney go to the White House. Yes, I think America's ready for a Mormon president. No way a Mormon is going to get in the White House. The odds of him being elected president are zero. What happened when the Mormon prophet Joseph Smith ran for president? If America knew the power seeking that was in Joseph that continues to be in the LDS church today, they would be very frightened to have a Mormon president. Was there a political conspiracy to murder Joseph Smith? Is anti-Mormon prejudice still alive and well in America today? I've gotten several comments of like, you're a Mormon and you're in a cult. Their doctrine does not reflect Christian teaching as we understand it. It makes me crazy if somebody ever accuses me of not being Christian. And the name of the church says it all right there. Why are Americans in such disagreement about the Mormon church? They would love to take over the world, and I think they believe that they will someday do it. There's a lot of rumors out there, and most of them without basis. Every single thing connected to Mormonism is a byproduct of the embodiment of Joseph Smith. He had been dragged from his home in an effort to kill him, and a Protestant minister was a member of that mob. Today, Protestant leaders reject Joseph Smith as a false prophet. You can't understand the challenge facing Mitt Romney until you know the untold story of Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism. Explore the controversy surrounding Joseph Smith and the Mormon quest for the White House. Prophet of God, polygamist, politician, who was Joseph Smith? Joseph Smith is a puzzle. Larger than life. I would say Christ-like. It would have to be charlatan. He was a mighty prophet. A mighty prophet of God. Join the debate, the drama. Make your decision. Is America ready for a Mormon president?
you can get that uh, DVD copy for a minimum donation of $25 to Alathea Ministries. Go to www.hotm.tv uh, to donate online or write us at the address that's on your screen. Eight, final one. We are taking pre-sale orders for our newest, perhaps most timely, and perhaps I think it's the most informative book, best constructed book, uh, we've ever produced where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face to face. In it, we take the top 47 most important topics relative to the Mormon Christian debate and show you the differences between the two. Now, what's a pre sale? Uh, it's that we are offering the book to you, our viewers, at a discount, signed, uh, and uh, without postage costs because you've paid for it before it hits the shelves. The price, 30 bucks. Now, I know that's expensive. I wish we could get it to you less, but bottom line, at the $30 price, we're at about a break-even on the cost. But take advantage of it because come December 1st, the books are going to go $34.95 plus shipping. How do you get it? Two ways. Online, www.hotm.tv, or you can write us at 4760 Highland Drive, number 515, Salt Lake City, Utah, 8 and with that, let's have a word of prayer. Oh, Father God, we all personally, uh, collectively seek you, need you. We pray for those who are involved in the program tonight. We pray your blessings over this station that allows us to air this program for our volunteers and staff, for those who support us in prayer and, uh, and financially and helping the program get out there to other people. Those who just attend, those who watch, Lord, bless everybody with eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to feel that they may be converted and, uh, and be healed. We pray for those who are seeking. We pray for channel surfers, Lord. We pray for people to stop and hear the truth about Mormonism relative to biblical Christianity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Over the years, uh, when we do a program, rest assured, I know when we're doing a program where we're just getting information in the can, so to speak, getting it on tape. I know when it seems like it's, wow, that's just a lot of information, but we're really uh, compiling a body of information. And so sometimes the stuff that we do is a little bit, wow, well, we've heard all that before, but it's important for us to get it. But tonight, that is not the case. Tonight, in fact, in my opinion, is a is a case cracker uh, and puts a huge dent, in my opinion, on the Book of Mormon tale. One of the supposed evidences the LDS used to prove the Book of Mormon true is the fact that 11 witnesses to the actual existence of the golden plates put their name down saying they saw them. We're going to fully examine these witnesses and their testimony of the plates in the future. But we need to look at who the witnesses were in order to understand something about their involvement in the coming production of the Book of Mormon. In 1972, a fantastic movie came out called The Sting. It starred Robert Redford and Paul Newman, and who were con men, and the great lengths they went to to con another guy, or a mark, as they would call him, out of a huge chunk of money. In 2001, Steven Soderbergh uh, directed uh, another film called Ocean's Eleven. In it, 11 men came together and focused their efforts on a mark, a casino owner, in order to rob him of his money. 
I would strongly suggest after spending years studying the makeup of the 11 witnesses to the plates, their history relative to the Smiths, that 10 of them were in cahoots with Joseph Smith to con a mark. His name, Martin Harris. Let me see if I can explain this to you and at the same time introduce you to Martin Harris. Joseph had been telling his treasure digging buddies that a spirit, a guardian spirit, had revealed to him that there was some gold treasure buried in a prominent hill near his home. That was exciting stuff to these guys. In time and as a means to shrug these treasure-seeking buddies off his back, he needed to give the gold treasure more meaning. I believe he located the very popular book, A View of the Hebrews, written by Oliver Cowdery's family pastor, which claim that the American Indians came from the Jews. Here Joseph morphed the gold, buried gold treasure story into a story of a book of historical significance. When Joseph supposedly unearthed the plates after four years supposedly of not being able to take them, mind you, he needed a way to print the book from which he would create from, uh, what, from which he would create from these plates. And I would suggest that the minute he said he had the plates, his mind started wondering how he was going to publish the book. He looked at his family, the Smiths, at large, no money. He looked uh, to the family friends like the Whitmers, another family that was very close to them, no money there. He probably considered Isaac Hale, Emma's father, and his father-in-law. But Isaac Hale was on to Joseph Smith being a con, so he was not going to get any money there. So Joseph looks around and thinks, who in this area has the money to print this thing once it's done? Enter one Martin Harris. A friend of Mr. G.W. Stoddard, Stoddard describes Harris in this way. I have been acquainted with Martin Harris for 30 years. As a farmer, he was industrious and enterprising, so much so that he had, previous, previous going into the gold Bible speculation, accumulated in real estate some eight to ten thousand dollars as a side note that would be like having about two hundred thousand dollars today which is a lot of money for someone who lived in the community in which the smiths lived although he possessed wealth his moral and religious character was such as not to entitle him to the respect of his neighbors he was fretful peevish and quarrelsome yet he was the public professor of some religion he was first an Orthodox Quaker, then a Universalist, next a Restorationist, then a Baptist, next a Presbyterian, and then a Mormon. By his willingness to become all things to all men, he has attained a high standing among his Mormon brethren. End quote. In the fall of 1827, when Joseph said he got the plates, Martin Harris made a visit, visit to a Christian pastor's home. The pastor's name was John A. Clark. This is how Pastor Clark described Mr. Harris. At this time, he says, however, in his religious views, he seemed to be floating upon a sea of uncertainty. He had certainly quite an extensive knowledge of the scriptures and possessed a manifest disputatious turn of mind. As I subsequently learned, Mr. Harris has always been a firm believer in dreams, and visions and supernatural appearances such as apparitions and ghosts listen to this and therefore was a fit subject for such men as Smith and his colleagues to operate upon 
From this, we understand the personal characteristics that made Martin Harris a mark. He was unsatisfied with traditional Christianity, though he had made many attempts at different uh, aspects of it. He was highly superstitious. He believed in apparitions and ghosts and visions, and he had money. But who were the colleagues that that pastor talked about that helped Smith con their ever-gullible mark? They were there were 11 of them altogether, 10 of them altogether, not including uh, Harris, just like Danny Ocean, and they had an objective. Convince the 11th member, Martin Harris, that Joseph was telling the truth and get his money to back such a conviction. Let's look a minute at Smith's 11. Now think about this just for a minute. Suppose that the story is true and God has given Joseph golden plates from an ancient record. And God does allow Joseph to have actual witnesses to, this, uh, to these plates. Who do you suppose Joseph would pick to witness these plates? I mean, there's no fear of them being found to be a con, so you would want to get very reputable witnesses. Uh, I would think Joseph would probably ask the most honorable and respected people, non-relatives, non-friends in the community, to witness this. People he didn't associate with, morally upright people, or at least from all appearances, like possibly the mayor, or maybe uh, local physicians, or respected judges, or attorneys, not the, you know, or, you know, educators, uh, uh, people like that, you know, people who would not be afraid to come forward, observe these plates objectively as possible, and say they were real or they were phony. Why not have people like that come about? But who does Joseph choose? Two families, his and members of his, and one entirely from uh, all their close friends, a family of their very close friends. The one odd man out in this group, Martin Harris. You see, all of those men from the two families who were thick as thieves were in place to con the mark, Harris, out of his cash, and this is how it worked. There were first three witnesses to the plates, but they only got to see them with spiritual eyes. You got to understand that. There was three witnesses and then there was eight. But the first three only got to see the plates through their spiritual eyes. Uh, David Whitmer and Oliver Cowdery uh, and Martin Harris. Now, Oliver Cowdery was from the Joseph Smith family and David Whitmer was obviously from the Whitmer family. They got Martin Harris out there in the woods and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And guess who saw the plates through vision? Oliver Cowdery and David Whitmer. Martin Harris in between him saying, I don't see him. I don't see him. And he feels he's not worthy. So he goes running off into the woods. Joseph finds him. And he's a Joseph is able to convince him that he does see the plates through vision. Okay, so there's the first thing. Then there were eight other witnesses who were allowed to actually and supposedly handle, touch, lift, move, and see the plates. Uh, was Harris among them? No. They all came from the two tight-knit families. So this is how it looked. The three witnesses, Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, Martin Harris. And those were the guys who saw him spiritually, supposedly. Then you have two families. On the Smith side, you have Joseph Smith's father, okay, who forget about it when it comes to his background. Then you have Hiram Smith, his brother. 
you have Samuel Smith, and then from the spiritual witnesses, you can take Oliver Cowdery because he was related to the Smiths. That's how he became introduced to Joseph. So that's the whole Smith side of, of the family. And then you move over to the other side. Who did you have? You have uh, Christian Whitmer, Jacob Whitmer, Peter Whitmer Jr., John Whitmer, and a guy named Hiram Page. Who was Hiram Page? He was the Whitmer's brother-in-law. Mar he married the Whitmer's sister. So you take David Whitmer from the spiritual ones, you move him down to the whole other side of the Whitmer clan, and you've got Whitmers and you have Smiths, who supposedly were the witnesses, and you've got Martin Harris there all by himself. The overabundance of the Whitmers caused the acerbic Mark Twain uh, to comically write, I could not feel more satisfied and at rest if the entire Whitmer family had testified, end quote. So how did Martin Harris get involved, or better put, how did they make Harris the mark? As testified by those who knew him, he was on the lookout for the next best religious experience to come down the pike. He might be best described as a man who is tossed about with every wind of doctrine. Joseph Smith was an astute surveyor of human personality, and I'm sure he concluded that Harris could be duped. So what does he do? He asks his mother to go over to the Harris farm and tell Martin Harris about the gold plate discovery. This is what Harris himself wrote about how he responded to uh, Joseph Smith's mother's visit. Ready? He said, I waited a day or two, took my breakfast, went directly to old Mr. Smith's. I found that Joseph had gone away to work for Peter Ingersoll to get some flour. I was glad he was absent, for that gave me an opportunity of talking with his wife, Emma, and the family about the plates. If we read between the lines of this account, we get a sense of Martin Harris's personality. He seems from his words to think of himself as being uh, kind of an intuitive guy, gifted in being able to detect a fraud. He believed he had the situation in control when he went over there. However, he seemed to somehow believe that Joseph Smith's wife, Emma, and the rest of the Smith family would not be aware of why he was there and that they would do all in their power to convince him that this story was true. Forgetting that Joseph's mother went to his house, told him about him, and then Martin shows up at the house, Martin seemed to forget that. He just seemed to think he was there and he was going to find out what the truth was. He continues, I talked with them separately to see if their stories agreed and found that they did agree. When Joseph came home, I did not wish him to know that I had been talking with them, so I took him by the arm and led him away from the rest. Again, Martin Harris writes as though he was in charge of the situation. Like most Marks believe they're in charge of the situation, and they aren't. He didn't realize that Joseph knew why he was there, and that probably when he took Joseph by the arm and got him away from the family before Joseph could talk with the family, Joseph knew what the guy was doing, and he knew what he was going to have to say to him to convince him. He was being played. Harris continues saying, and I requested him to tell me the story, which he did as follows. This is Harris's quote. An angel appeared to him and told him it was God's work. This is important because the statement shows how Joseph is now transitioning in the story. It started out as treasure, became an ancient record, and now speaking here to a highly religious and zealous man, it has become God's work revealed to him not by a guardian spirit, but by an angel. Harris continues writing, 
Joseph, quote, has before described the manner of his finding the plates. He found them by looking in the stone found in the well of Mason Chase. The family had likewise told me the same thing, end quote. Now get ready. Joseph was known as a treasure digger in those areas who looked into stones. He had to matter-of-factly admit this to Martin Harris uh, almost as a confessional. He had no choice. Um, this is why Harris includes this in here. He found those by looking into the stone. But now listen to what Joseph does in, according to Harris. Quote, Joseph said the angel told him that he must quit the company of the money diggers. This is his repentance before the religious Harris. That there were wicked men among them. He must have no more to do with them. Now listen to what Joseph has the angel say. He must not lie, nor swear, nor steal anymore. That just tacitly infers that Joseph had been lying, had been stealing, had been swearing, but now the angel tells Joseph, if you're really going to be involved in this work, there's more, no more of doing that, Joseph, as if a man's personal worthiness is tied into his ability to receive these plates. That's one of the biggest lies of the whole thing. Does this sound like Joseph Smith is telling Martin Harris what an angel really said to him, or does it sound like Joseph Smith talking to a man, uh, giving him a yarn, because he's hyper-zealous on spiritual and mystical and religious things. Now get a load of the next phrase, drawing the mark in closer. Listen to what Harris says Joseph told him the angel added. Ready? He told Joseph to go and look in the spectacles, and he would show the man who would assist him. That he did so and saw myself, Martin Harris, standing before him. Harris writes, that struck me with surprise. I can't help but smile at this. Joseph is saying, you know, and the angel said, go look in the spectacles. And when you do, you're going to see the man who's going to assist you. And so he goes and he tells us, and Harris says, it struck me with surprise. I mean, God is mindful of little old me. He, he, he knows me, a farmer just out there trying to find truth. And, and he showed you me in the spectacles, Joseph. Now here in the narrative of Harris, he has... He, he takes more control back. Listen to what he says. I told him, meaning Joseph, I wish to be very careful about these things. Well, said he, meaning Joseph, I saw you standing before me as plainly as I do now. So here we go. And at this point, the mark did not respond by saying this is a con job or this is evil or this is not in accordance with the word of God, Joseph. What does he do? He says to Joseph, according to his own words, if it is of the devil's work, I will have nothing to do with it. But if it is the Lord's, listen to this, folks. If it is the Lord's, you can have all the money necessary to bring it before the world. And we see why Harris was included from the beginning. It was a petition for cash. And from this point forward, Joseph and the others had a clear objective. Prove to Harris that this work was of the Lord because in doing so, it would mean cash and cash meant they could go to a publisher and get this thing printed. The mark was put into play. The Smith 11 had their objective and the Book of Mormon was going to progressively take on more and more of a religious tone as Joseph continued to translate first with Harris, gets rid of him, and then through others. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-8820. 801-973-TV20. We haven't touched emails in a while, but we've got 
We're going to go to the uh, calls quickly and then go to emails, try to pick them up. Line one, Deborah, Los Angeles. Deborah, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, hello. Hi. Hi. Okay, thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, okay, so uh, I found you on YouTube. I live in Los Angeles, so uh, I'm new to the whole exposing of the Mormon stuff. I was a raised atheist, and after 9-11, I... I don't know, something hit me. I was like, I need spirituality, I need God. So I tried every religion, and as soon as I got into, um, like, oh, I had LDS friends that were always happy and always outgoing, I thought, okay, I'm going to study with you guys. So I did, and during that time, I went to three weddings, couldn't go inside. They told me it's because it's God's house. They tell me the Catholics, which I have half my family's Catholic, are the devil's church, and that just really was like, what? So I, I did some more studying, and I read Under the Banner of Heaven, and I don't know, just something clicked and said, don't join. So I didn't join, and they all dumped me as friends. <laughs> and I, my, it broke my heart. So I don't know, like, why they would dump you or dump me and why they consider the Catholic Church the devil's church. And is that just that one person who said it, or is that, like, a common belief of theirs? Great questions, Deborah. First and foremost, Catholic Church. Bruce Armour 1962 apostle, uh, supposedly apostle of Jesus Christ, wrote that the Catholic Church is the whore of Babylon. He took that primarily from the writings in the Book of Mormon, but the LDS stepped back away from that now, and they try not to teach that as much. But, as much. but the, uh, the residue is, still continues among many believers, and so they will, they will call the Catholic Church that. The other thing is, you know, we have an email here I was going to read. Mormons are, are like uh, salespeople of snake oil. They're not going to spend a lot of time with you if you start to get informed. They're going to move on to the next Mark, who is gullible and unknowing and will join and get involved and love the culture and love everything else. And then once they find out uh, the truth about the doctrines and practices and history, it's too late. And so that's kind of the modus operandi they work by. That's why they dropped you like a hot potato, and, uh, and it just works that way. Well, it's, it's, really, uh, it's really unsettling because it just feels like, well, it makes sense, absolutely makes sense. Because I have friends of all different faiths, and everyone was, you know, if I don't, you know, don't uh, join, they're still going to be my friend, but it seems like this is the only group that dumped me. Yeah. Well, that's a real sign of a cult, isn't it? And uh, that's what cults do. And, and you know, I, I usually don't use that word in association with the LDS because it offends so many of them, but that's what cults do. I mean, you're either, you're either with us or you're against us, and you are out. And, you know, I would hope that any church that does that, uh, especially if it's Christian, Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, whatever, yeah, yeah, Calvary Chapel, I would hope that would never happen in one of those. That if someone says, I stopped being a Christian, that there would still be love extended and acceptance of the people. But uh, with Mormonism, you're not going to find that. Well, the one good thing about studying with them is that it pushed me to believe in Jesus because I got away from them and went Christian. So Praise I'm God. Christian now. <laughs> Praise God. Keep going, my friend. Thanks for calling. Thank you so much for the work you do. Keep it up. Okay, we'll see you later. Bye, Sean. Bye-bye. We're going to Elsie in Brigham City, Utah. Elsie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Elsie? Yeah. You're on the air. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Oh, no. Elsie, is your TV on? Yeah. Uh, Turn it off. It's off now. Okay, Elsie, you're on the air. Yes. You're on the air, Elsie. Yes. What's your question? Um, I wanted to talk about his belief 
that the LDS Church are not Christians. Okay, what would you? It's me, Elsie. You're talking to the host. You got to turn your TV off, honey. Elsie. Yes. It's a really good question, but you got to turn your TV off. Okay. Are you doing it? Turn it off. It's turn. off. Okay, now, Aunt, now talk to me. You're talking to the host. This is Sean. Oh, I have to hang up on you. You're asking a good question. Elsie, I'm going to give you one more chance. Okay. All right. I can't do it. Listen, uh, Sean, Mormons are Christian. Maybe this answers Elsie's question. It depends on how you define Christianity. By the definition you, by their definition, you are, I don't even understand this line. I believe that your definition requires a belief in being saved by grace. If that is true, then, by your definition, the Catholic Church is not Christian either. I know you won't read this on your show because I believe it may show that you are a bit narrow-minded and exclusionary. Do you have the guts to state that by your definition, the Catholic Church is not Christian on your show? I think not. Okay, this is from Douglas. Douglas, no organized religion is Christian. Now, I know that sounds radical, but just listen, hear me out. In the sense that an organized religion embodies the perfect teachings of Christ. Christ is Christian. Christ is the only Christian to have ever been, okay? So in Christ, we have our Christianity, not in the institution. For example, there are denominations who are supposedly Christian who say you have to be baptized to be saved. There are denominations that say you have to pay tithing to be saved. There are denominations that say that um, repentance of all sin is mandatory for salvation. Uh, it's a misnomer to state any religious institution is Christian because it's not the people, it's not the church, it's the people who are Christian, okay? Um, second point, there's a spectrum of Christianity that we're talking about. At one end, somewhere on this earth, there's an there's a organized church that embodies one heck of a lot of what the Bible says and what Jesus Christ embodies. I mean, they're at this end of the spectrum, and they really have got it all together. I don't know who they are, but they're out there somewhere. But it's an institution. Men and women are involved, so it's not perfect. Okay? And this is all on the bar of Christianity. Then we move to this end, and it starts getting weaker and weaker. And then on this end, we've got a thing that a church or that is just ready to fall off into complete heresy. All right, and there is the spectrum, and where they are relative to their specific doctrines, I I have no idea. I, I mean, and when you talk about Catholics, where they are, yeah, they might have a problem on the grace. Maybe that moves them down here. I'm not sure, but Catholics can be Christian. Mormons can be Christian, but in terms of doctrine on the perspective, Mormons have fallen off. They're not even up on the, on the bar here, okay? Because I was one, and I know their doctrine. Doctrinally, they're not even on there. They don't believe in one God. Catholicism does. They don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Catholicism does. So all of those things, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure, like I said, where Catholicism is, but Mormonism isn't even on the plane. Do you get it? Hope that helps. Okay, uh, Sean Beha says, I just watched your show back on 3706. A Mormon caller called and warned that you shouldn't broadcast over the air and that when Jesus comes back and lands on the Mount of Olives, that the prophets, LDS, will be standing with him. They are going to be LDS. This is his point. 
Your response was very gentle and you told him he was entitled to his opinion and the call ended without any real confrontation to his beliefs. It was curious though to see your response to be so mild and he wants to know what's happened. Is it my Christian walk? What is it? Well, it's a number of things. That was almost six years ago. Uh, shortly after doing that program and many programs thereafter where I wanted to reach them in love, I realized that that doesn't work on a television program in a town, the Mecca of Mormonism, because their whole purpose and calling is to bring Mormonism up and validate it here on the air. And so it, you, do, you, go, you get nothing of benefit for me to sit here and be, yeah, that's true. Well, good luck with that. You can believe it and, and go on your way. God bless you. Here, have a drink of water. Be of good cheer. God bless you. God bless you. Oh, that's so nice. Well, I hope we can come. You know, it's just, it's insane. It's a waste of airtime, and it's a waste of teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus was emphatic on truth. Emphatic. John the Baptist, radical on truth. And so I learned, and I've learned here live on TV over these six years, how to be and how the Lord wants me to be. I thought that I could be kind of more open and relaxed and discuss, but the, I saw quickly every Latter-day Saint caller had an agenda. And their agenda was to promote Mormonism as being Christian. So I quickly saw that that, that way wasn't going to work. Remember, truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is irresponsibility. So you've got to have the two hand in hand. And so it is a loving act to get in someone's kitchen when it comes to them being off on the truth. All right? Uh, so that's why. Uh, let me go continue on. Oh, this is interesting. The Mormon Defense League, I talked about a uh, number of months ago, has changed its name now. They want to be known as Mormon Voices. Mormon Voices. You see, uh, the Foundation for Apologetic Information and Research, that's FAIRS, Scott Gordon, the president, who I've been calling and saying, hey, come on on the show. You can get, you, you've started the Mormon Defense League. Come on the air and defend the Mormon faith and tell us how we're so wrong in our, in our understanding of Mormonism. Well, they've completely reorganized and re-put out what the Mormon Defense League is all about, even to the point they've changed their name, and it's now called Mormon Voices. And it's really about um, writing this is, this is part of the Deseret News article. It's about writing in response to things and providing a lot of forums and discussion groups and writing responses about how Mormonism is misunderstood. They've done this, they don't get, because they can't come on a show like this and they can't articulate their positions and not be set free from the truth. And so they can, what they do is they sit in their little ivory tower and they write responses and they build websites and they get their members on there saying all kinds of stuff that they say, this is true, this is the truth, this is the truth. But in reality, uh, no one can call them on the carpet because it's not a public thing. So I, I, it's really interesting that they have now changed their name. They don't want to be known as being defensive, uh, standing for the defense. They want to be known as a voice of Mormonism to publicly stand up and share. Kathy writes a very great point. All things associated with Jesus are humble. Even the Ten Commandments were written on stone. I suspect those gold plates, if they ever existed, were once in the form of a golden calf in the desert. 
Really a good point there, Kathy. Julie says, I'd like to know how the Mormon teachings of the pre-earth war differ from what is stated in the Bible. In Revelation, it talks about uh, there being a war in heaven. Let me try to explain this to you. Mormons teach, and you know this, so I'm sorry if it's redundant, that every single human being that walks around on this earth, lays baby, whatever, has a spirit that came from heaven. Heavenly Father, in a glorified body, had relations with Heavenly Mother or mothers, and they copulated and they produced spirit babies. And those spirit babies, that was us, up in the pre-existence, and we're all hanging around, and we look up and we see our Father has a body. We say, we want one, and he says, okay, I'll tell you what, go down to earth and you can get one. And there is a war. They say a guy named Lucifer, which is totally off, Lucifer gets in a battle with... uh, uh, and his minions get in a battle, and the spirits of, of us all fight each other. Those who follow Lucifer are cast down to earth, and they don't get to have bodies. And those of us who went with the Lord's plan, God's plan, got to stay in heaven, and now we're born here, and we get bodies of flesh and blood. That's why when we die, according to Mormons, everybody gets a kingdom of glory, because we were obedient in the preexistence, and now when we come here, even if we are Adolf Hitler we still get to go to a glory of heaven where we'll kill ourselves to get there because uh, we obeyed the pre-existent plan with the Father in the first place. You get that? Well, this is what the Bible teaches. God created the heavens and the earth. In the heavens, there's an economy. That economy consists of him and angels. Those angels are like armies, and they have different ranks and sizes and platoons and they have different purposes and they are spiritual beings they are above man and they operate and do the will of God in the heavens and they do it here well prior to this earth there was a war between those angels and Satan was cast out of heaven and with his tail he drug many of those uh, angelic spirits with him to here who were cast down here okay God uh, then on earth created other economies. He created an economy under the sea. Those are fish. They they breathe underwater. They have their world. He created economies here on land. There were animals four-footed. There were slithering animals. There was man made in his image. God took the clay. He breathed into that clay, and that clay became a living soul. Three in one, body, soul, spirit in one, same identity as God, you see. And God relates to these creatures that he created to through their spirit, man meaning. Man spiritually died, so man needs to be born again. Jesus said, I am from above, you are from beneath. He's the only man to ever walk this earth that was a pre, had a pre-existent spirit. He, well, because he is God. He came here and took on a body. Joseph Smith essentially made every human being his brother and took them up into heaven before this world was. And Jesus was a created, birthed by Heavenly Mother. Jesus was a spirit child, and we were his brother and sisters. And when Satan said, or Lucifer said, I don't like this plan of going down there, it was Jesus who stood up and said, no way, and there was a war in heaven between the spirits. So there's the difference between the two. Let's go with uh, Bob in Spanish Fork, Utah. Bob, you're on Heart of the Matter. Okay. Okay, you're on the air. Okay, thanks. I had to get my TV off. I hear you talk about Joseph Smith and all the people and everything, but I never hear you tell me who wrote the Book of Mormon. 
Well, we're going to get to that, believe me. It's going to take us about a year, and we are going to go through. But we are taking this piece by piece, so stay oh, with us. Yeah, I don't understand. Uh, so you, you're telling me that uh, Joseph Smith did or did not write the Book of Mormon? Oh, I know he had a hand in it, but we, I'm just going to tell you where all the information came from. Who compiled it into his notes that he stuck into the white hat? I don't know. I don't know who helped him compile it, whether it was him alone or somebody else. But if you want to tell me that he was an uneducated hayseed who couldn't, didn't have the ability to do it, you're going to have to read the first edition of the Book of Mormon, and you'll see the hayseed side of him come out. But he was a very intelligent man, possibly a genius. So in terms of actually who wrote uh, all of it, I don't know if he had help from his 11 or his 10 guys. I don't know if his father and mother helped him. I don't know where, if he got all the ideas all of his own from view of the Hebrews and other things that were going on. But next year, we we're going to go through the Book of Mormon itself and show you the themes and how it is completely plagiarized. Okay. My other question is, the Trinity, everybody, you have to say, some people say that uh, God's three in one, and uh, other people say that they're all individuals, but the thing... The three and one did not come until the Nicene Creed, which was uh, under Constantine, who had a lot to say about it. I don't understand. Uh, most of the Roman Empire, the Christianity in the Roman Empire, got real mad because they came out with the three and one thing. The, the, the uh, Greeks said, "Do you say that you have one God?" And the Romans said the same thing, but they uh, they said, "No, you got a Father, a Son, and a Holy Ghost." And so Constantine worked it out. So at the Nicene Creed. Uh, he was the responsible one to get it said, no, we've got uh, three-in-one type thing, but uh, an awful lot of the Roman Empire had a lot of trouble because they uh, didn't like that. In fact, it was an emperor, about two or three emperors later, that said, either you believe in what we're telling you or else you don't get the tax breaks. Well, that's a really convincing, really convincing dissertation, Bob. I'm ready to just throw the whole idea of one God of three persons out the window from what you just said. That was just amazing. Well, go back and look at history. Hey, man, hey, Bob, why don't we go back and look at the Bible, okay? Let's look at the Bible. No, 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 no. I let you talk. I let you ramble. Now I'm going to talk. We look at the Bible, and Deuteronomy says what? There is one God. There is one. No, wait, no, 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 no. Bob, Bob. Okay, I'm gone. There is one God. There is one God. That's what this Bible says. But the Bible calls the Father God. The Bible calls the Son God and the Bible calls the Holy Spirit God. All the attributes of the Father are attributed to the Son. All the attributes of the Son are attributed to the Holy Spirit. All the attributes of the Holy Spirit are attributed to the Father. But the first premise is there is one God. Now Bob somehow thinks that, that at Nicaea, Constantine, I'm not sure of the chronology of that, was able to gather up and turn this all the way around and start teaching this. The reason that they gathered at those councils was because heresies like uh, Arianism was cropping up. This is what Bob believes, that Jesus wasn't God, you see. And so they said, we need to open up the book, the Bible, and read what have the apostles and the prophets said. They got all that out and they studied it for months and months and months and months. And they said, okay, we understand what is being said here about God. We don't understand how it works, but this is it. There's three persons and there's one God. And they came up with a word for it and it was Trinity. Trinity's not in the Bible. Fine. Don't even have to call. I just call it God. Was the Father God? Yes. Was the Son God? Yes. The Holy Spirit God? Yes. 
Are they three distinct personages? Yes, they are. Are they one God? Absolutely. Are they one in purpose only? No, they are one God. Okay? So all that uh, meandering, and it's like, you know, I get the, when I hear guys like that, I think of these guys smoking cigars or, or, or eating Fritos and like sitting in the bathroom and reading all this old LDS literature. Like Constantine did that, and this is how that happened. I'm going to call Sean McCraney and tell him. It's, it's so unfounded. Read the Word of God. I never read anything, anything when I came out of Mormonism but the Bible about the Trinity. I never I have never read a book about it. You read the Bible with regenerated eyes and you come to understand Jesus was God in the flesh. God the Father was in heaven. The Holy Spirit came after Jesus left. Okay, we're going to do a partner spot. Take a look at this and we'll come back for your final phone calls in the last 10 minutes. Thanks for watching. Listen, we have some, a couple questions here before we go to Stan and Magna. Where did the breastplates, sword, gold plates go from Brant and Clearfield? Where they went was Joseph said God took them up. Took them back, got rid of them, or put them somewhere. The angel of Mar Moroni took them back. That's the stand. Uh, we'll get to that when we get to that point in the history. And then Eric asks, did all the witnesses lie and take it to their grave? Well, you know what? We think when we just answer that straight out, Yes, they lied. Yes, they took it to their grave. What would be the motive? You know, there are mafia members who go to prison for 20 and 30 years, never telling the truth just for the cause. Uh, they take every secret to their grave. Every now and then you get a snitch. But, you know, we don't know what was involved in the promises, in the oaths, in the money exchanged, in any of it with the original 10 witnesses that conned uh, Martin Harris. So I don't think it's any big deal. I mean, uh, most of them, David Whitmer, uh, Oliver Cowdery, and uh, the others, not the others, but those two particularly, they were kicked out of the church. Joseph Smith said it's better we never even remember them. Some of them came back because they longed for it. They missed it, just like people come back now. But in terms of why would they carry the lie to their grave, it happens all the time in all kinds of sinister uh, black uh, uh, clandestine groups. Okay? So, um, we're going to come to Stan in a minute. Oh, let's just go to Stan now. Stan, you're on Heart of the Matter. You're on the air, Stan. I can't hear you. 
That's because your TV's on. You're on the air, Stan. I got a mitt. Mute. You got it muted. All right, you're on the air. What's your question? Uh, my question, uh, why the Mormons call themselves the true church? Why do they call themselves the true church? Yeah, the true church because they got 12 apostles. We have a rule on this show. And I have That's to why they call themselves the true church is they got 12 apostles. Is that the reason? That's the reason that I, they, Jesus fired the 12 apostles because they fell asleep. They didn't, they followed him for three years and they didn't listen to him. So he fired them. I don't think you're going to have 12 apostles in the next life. You're just Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Thanks for the call, Stan. Keep watching. We have a, we have a rule on this program. There is no drug use prior to calling the show. There is no marijuana. There is no hard alcohol, as defined by the word of wisdom. So knock it off. All right. Uh, Kara gives us an outstanding, outstanding response to give to the LDS. Listen to this, all right? Le I just learned from this. I ask LDS when I'm debating with them when they insist on being called Christian. Okay, so here's a tool for you. I ask them if polygamous cults, like in southern Utah, are Mormon. Of course, they adamantly claim, no, they're not. I ask them why they have the right to say such an unloving thing about polygamists if I am not allowed to say that Mormons aren't Christian. Then I explain how Mormons and Christians differ on the most important points in theology, salvation, the nature of man, the nature of God, the canon of scripture, etc., I point out then that the polygamists in southern Utah, etc., and the Mormons in Salt Lake agree on most important points of theology. Salvation, temples, family, scripture, the nature of God and man, etc. I then ask them if polygamists are just different but an equal denomination of Mormonism. They say, absolutely not. I explain that th this is the reason that we could never affirm that Mormonism is a Christian denomination because on, on such a much bigger scale. Isn't that great? That is just outstanding. In other words, if you didn't get it because my reading is bad, this is what it is. You ask a Latter-day Saint, hey, you know, the Latter-day Saint, I'm Christian, I'm Christian. Well, are the people down in southern Utah, are they Mormon? No, no, they're not Mormon. Well, they, 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 they share everything in common with you except the practice of polygamy. And you're saying they're not, more, they're not Mormon. And you don't give them any leeway on that. But you will say that you're Christian and yet you have nothing in common with Christianity except the use of the name Jesus Christ. Do you see the difference? What, Kara? Uh, excellent, excellent uh, comment. Okay, uh, let's keep going. Jim says... How would you counsel someone who thinks they are too dirty or sinful to be accepted of God? I would say it's a problem of perception. And it's a big problem of perception. And this is it, Jim. If someone thinks they're too sinful to be accepted of God, they don't understand that the nature of God truly is holiness and from his purview, looking down on man, we are not really worth anything relative to our works, and we're all sinful. 
So how could someone be too sinful when God sees every single human being as a sinful fallen creature? You see, you got to get the perspective right. When a person realizes that God is holy, he is a consuming fire, but he is loving and he looks upon us as fallen, but he loved us so much he sent his son to come here and die for the sins and death of the world that all you do is look upon his son, you get your righteousness through that faith of looking on the son, not through the works of your fallen sinful condition. You could be the perfect Christian and you're driving along the road and a sheep runs out front, you turn the wheel, you go off the, cl the cliff and you yell out the huge F-bomb as you're about to crash. You are a sinful person in your nature. Does it mean you don't get to go to heaven? If you believed on Christ, you're saved. If you don't believe on Christ, you're not. And what does that belief mean? Jesus came to the uh, uh, Jews and he told them something. He said, if you don't believe that I am, that's a reference back to Moses going to God and saying, who do I tell the children of Israel you are? What name do I give them? He said, tell them I am sent you. Jesus says to the Jews, if you don't believe that I am, that means that I'm God, you will die in your sins. It's not just believing in Jesus in an intellectual sense. It's believing that he is I am, came down in the flesh, suffered for your sin, gave his life for you, lived a righteous life that you cannot live, and therefore by that faith his righteousness is imputed to you as a person, and by that you are saved, both by his shed blood for your sin and the imputed righteousness Jesus gives you because of your faith upon him. That is how it will help you overcome the difference of feeling too sinful. Are you too sinful? Yeah, absolutely. You have no possible way of overcoming that, except through faith and the love of Jesus Christ. Uh, we only have 26 minutes. Alan in Utah, first time caller, call back next week. We'd love to talk to you. Um, we're gonna continue on now, and we're gonna start talking about the actual translation. 116 pages Joseph uh, produced first using the means we've been talking about. And then the following weeks, we're going to get into the subsequent translations, the publication, the witnesses, and the coming forth of the Book of Mormon next year. We'll go from there. See you next week.